Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. May the odds be ever in your favor. Oh, are we doing this whole episode with capital accents? Hello and welcome everyone. This is Jill. And if you saw the title for today's episode, you know that we are here to talk about one of my favorite series, The Hunger Games. I am so excited. I also did not do like the typical intro where this is the professional book nerds podcast presented by Overdrive because I'm so excited. Um, Joe is not laughing at me. So just like we did with the Twilight Saga last year, we are going to be doing a retrospective of the books in the series starting today with the very first one. I'm here with Emma and Joe. Hello, friends. Hey, friends. Hello. Uh, Before we jump into that, though, of course, be sure to follow us on social media. We can be found on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. You can share all of your own thoughts about The Hunger Games by emailing us at professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. So let's jump in. And as always, may the odds be ever in your favor. Hunger Games, Hunger Games, Hunger Games. Uh, I love these books so much. Dude, me too. Me too. This is absolutely one of my like reread, re-listen series. It's it's probably I didn't reread them this year, or I guess I'm rereading them now. But uh, it's probably been like a year, year and a half since I've read or listened, uh, and it's such a joy to be back. Which sounds terrible because you know, yeah, people are being massacred, but also it's just so good. They're so good. They're so good. Right. So, um. Just as a reminder, for those who maybe are not super familiar, the first book was published in 2008, and the film adaptation came out in 2012. The second book, Catching Fire, followed in 2009, and then Mockingjay, the concluding story, in 2012. So that was it for nearly 10 years, until 2020, when The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, which is a prequel about a young president, Snow, was published. I admittedly have not yet read Songbirds and Snake. So my first time will be as part of this retrospective. So I don't, that's going to be an interesting time. Emma and I are divide a house divided on this because I liked it well enough, but it's not, it's not these. It's not the same, mm-hmm. but sure. I did listen to it. Why you ask? Santino because Fontana. Was it Santino Tino? Fontana. Yep. Santino Fontana can apparently read the nutrition facts on a box or something. And I would still listen to it for 10 hours. Um, okay. Not equating that with this, but his narration helped make the plot for me more interesting because no offense to president snow, it just wasn't quite the same vibe. Right. It's, it's not the same vibe. And I don't know if he is. I don't think he gets a villain origin story, you know, like I, there's, he's just a villain. Like 
and he's a perfect villain. So to go backwards and to like, I don't know, kind of try to make him sympathetic doesn't, doesn't work. No, doesn't that work? Yeah. Agreed. I don't really, that's why I did not read it when it first came out, but maybe I'll do the audiobook when we finally get to it. It's worth it. It's a good listen. So by episode four, (laughs) you'll be ready. I will have read it. Yes. All right. So in The Hunger Games, we are first introduced to Katniss Everdeen. She's a teenager living in District 12 of Panem, and it is the day of the reaping. We don't quite... I What I like about this book is it just, like, drops you in, and you have mm. no idea what is happening. There's no hand-holding. <laughs> there is no, like... It's a self-guided tour. Is you are just... <laughs> You are just thrown into the museum and they say, okay, come and learn with us, kids. You are along for the ride. Um, I was looking up some interesting things about some like fun facts. So Katniss is actually an edible plant found in the wetlands. And it's known by many names, including Arrowhead and Sagittaria, which is a fitting name for an archer like Katniss. Mm-hmm. She's really good at that whole archery thing. It's kind of like her whole thing, right? <laughs> that's her That's her whole thing. So this series, written by Suzanne Collins, and what what a name to give us a yeah. beautiful series. I was also doing a little, little background research, and apparently she drew inspiration from both classical and contemporary sources. Her main classical source of inspiration is the myth of Theseus and the Minotaur. Um, so like that whole punishment of past crimes kind of thing uh, and the whole like sacrifice youths and maidens and and all of that to the labyrinth. Um, and apparently as a child, she was stunned by the idea because it was just so cruel to force the people of Athens to sacrifice its own children. Um, also, of course, inspired by the gladiator games And uh, she feels three key elements create a good game, an all-powerful and ruthless government, people forced to fight to the death, and the game's role as a source of popular entertainment. Right in circuses. Exactly. You got to make the circus. You got to make the media. And she also ties in uh, the fascination with reality television. So it it makes a, a lot of sense to see all of those inspos kind of come together. Um, I'm drawn to what I like about, which you've kind of already highlighted, Jill, is that we're not really given anything. We get snippets along the way, but we are kind of as in the dark as our heroine here. And the thing I find so fascinating is it's, it's here, the setting, the setting is something that's so fascinating to me. Mm -hmm. So it's this kind of like, So this is of the dystopian, post-apocalyptic genre. We know this. Um, But this is almost like dystopia so many years later. Like, this is something that none of the other dystopian novels really do. Like, we are not in the midst of the zombie apocalypse. We're not in the midst of the fall of the government. This is after the fall, after the rebuild, and now we're seeing punishment but in a world that's like, once we get to the capital, which I won't jump ahead, is so far ahead where we are in our own world, but the people who are, are living outside of the capital are living in a time that, that's like, what, the 40s here at, at worst at, yeah. or at best? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, um, 
I, I, yes. So the only other book, and it's not young adult, but the only other book that I can think of where it is set in sort of a far, but also near future in the United States where you can specifically place it within the United States is The Handmaid's Tale, which is set in Boston. Um, In this, we know it is in a land once known as the United States and also Canada. And I think down in Mexico are are parts as well. Um, The capital is in the Rockies and District 12 is in Appalachia. Um, And then there are 13 districts, although they only talk about 12 because 13 was supposedly destroyed by the capital during the first rebellion. Spoiler. Um, Now, I went looking for a map and the closest kind of official map that I've been able to find is from the production company of the film franchise. And also there was like some game called Hunger Game Adventures, which created a map. And I was looking at one that took, I think it was the Lionsgate um, map and like superimposed it on top of the United States. And where we are, I think it's, it's a little iffy, but I think we're like either in district 13 or we're in some of those like border, like borderless lands. Like when Gale and Katniss go hunting, they're sort of beyond the borders in this like no man's land type of situation. Um, that is as close as I have found any sort of official. There's lots of unofficial fan maps, but. Yeah, I'm now looking. I found one from Tumblr and it puts us in district 11 yeah they're like the fan maps are all over the place all over and, the place yeah because yeah, this um, this is truly just like what if we used <laughs> actual things yeah so I'm very curious so it's it's hard to sort of know officially like officially officially where we're located some have put us in like district six some have put us in district 13 um or i mean district three also 13. Um, so yeah, we're in this like weird spot. I think part of it could also be district 12. We're not quite Appalachia, but we're close enough that depending on how far the district like went over, um, it could potentially make its way up to where we are. So yeah. And some of the ones I'm looking at, I'm like district 12 couldn't be where you've got it because that's that's away from Appalachia. (laughs) Yes, I found those as well. Where I was like, that's not right. <laughs> that's not where that is. That's not where Appalachia is. Um, okay, so yeah, so we opened. It's Katniss. She is going hunting with her friend Gail. Um, they tend to hunt. Um, again, they like sneak out past the border where they're not supposed to go, but because the peacekeepers and military like buy their <laughs> game from them they let them kind of they look away and they get it um and it's the day of the reaping and this is always one of those things that reminds me of Shirley Jackson's the lottery where everyone just sort of accepts that this is the normal situation of what's about to happen um and there are rumblings of dissent but not super loud at least not within district 12 and then they just sort of go along their day and (laughs) Then you find out what it actually is, which is a drawing to find out which boy and which girl from the district are sent off to a reality show situation where they have to kill other children within the district. Fight to the death. So, fight to the death. It's so wild. A couple things come to mind. So District 12, I don't know if we mentioned it, but is the coal mining town. Um, 
and it's very often fully impoverished. It's fully impoverished. They almost never have electricity. um, And food is super scarce. It is incredibly regular that you will see people dying of starvation in District 12. And so Gail and Katniss started hunting as a way to provide for their families after both of their fathers died in a coal mine collapse. And so that's kind of what brought them together. That's what, you know, really um, brought up Katniss's skills with a bow and arrow, as you mentioned earlier, because she is this prime hunter and she is tolerated by the people of the town who are a little more empowered because like you said they love the game that they that they acquire um the other big thing about the fact that uh it's such an impoverished place and that people are starving to death is once they reach 12 the age at which the the reaping starts that's also when they're able to start putting their name in extra drawings for um rations basically so the the breakdown of how the hunger game selection works is there is a boy and a girl from each town uh, or each district kind of drawn but the biggest part of that is every year they get a second entry so at 12 you should only have one entry 13 you have two and, and so on until 18 um but you can put your name in, which is supposed to give you a year's worth of rations for one person, but yeah. it's not actually that much. So when we meet uh, Katniss and Gail at the reaping, she's got something like 40 or 45 entries at 16, and he's got like 50 something yeah. um, to provide for their families. Yeah. The other thing that came to mind uh, when you said the kind of like comparison to the lottery is, so I'm re-listening to the audiobook right now, uh, narrated by Carolyn McCormick. She does a wonderful job. She does all three books. Um, is the difference between the book and the movie in yes. how much you can tell that, you know, because like when you're reading the book and you're kind of going along, it's like, oh yeah, the the peacekeepers and the people in charge who should be punishing Katniss. Well, they like them, blah, blah, blah. It's not that bad. But when you see the visual, the visuals and how they kind of put it all together, it's a military state. And then yes. you can see why people aren't really dissenting. That like yes. their dissent are these small acts or like these small transgressions of, yeah, I bought the wild strawberries that they found in the woods that they shouldn't be in, but like, yum. And that's like, where it goes so there's there's definitely a a tonal difference between the two but the the film adaptation absolutely like bumps up the stakes absolutely I totally agree with that can and sort of you watch the you can definitely tell how impoverished they are in the film version it feels I mean they're they're a coal mining town that is what they produce and send to the capital they don't really get to keep it themselves which you find out through later conversations with rue that it's the same for rue's district like the districts don't get to keep what they their exports yeah yeah, they don't get to keep their exports um and it it reminds me a lot of like 1930s dust bowl um that's the look I always get mm-hmm. when I watch the movie, like it feels like that sort of environment where it you can just tell that they just have no money and are just working themselves to the bone just to barely survive. 
I also think that image of like coal mining is very specific as well, because yeah. that's something that like it seeps into you, like yes. you're in your lungs, in your hair, you're covered. So it's like, it's not something that they can easily like clean the day off and like have a sort of retreat. It's, it's at the root of everything that they're doing in that community. And you see that in stark contrast with the other districts in different ways, especially the closer and closer you get to the capital. Like you see just how dramatically different it is. Like even on the elements of like cleanliness or, and that type of thing. And I think you get that visual certainly in the books, but it's really elevated in the movies as well. Well, sure. And I, I think, you know, speaking about those districts that are closer to the capital and districts one and two specifically, which are sort of the careers where these kids are trained, they don't go to school necessarily to learn like math and reading. They go to learn survival skills specifically for the Hunger Games, and that's their job. Whereas in these other districts, like District 12 or Katniss's, her job is trying to provide food for her family and she has a survival of a much different kind and it is very starkly um represented and and you're right the the movie does a good job of displaying that difference and her education seems to be purely historical um everything they seem to learn seems to be how they got to the point they were and why everything is so much better that the capital won sure yep exactly so the day of the reaping they everyone in the district gathers in the main um square of town for this drawing and it is the first year that Katniss's younger sister um Prim is in the drawing she has one entry she's 12 years old um and by very very bad luck and very, very bad odds. They are not in her favor. Prim is selected as the girl to represent District 12. Um, And Katniss, in a moment of desperation and love and all of the things, volunteers as tribute to take Prim's place and go to the Hunger Games instead of sending her sister. And this is very unusual, at least in these districts, whereas in the career districts, the kids tend to volunteer when they get to be 18, it's like seen as a point of pride to go to the Hunger Games in District 12. Nobody volunteers. And so this is super unusual. Um, add to that is that District 12 does not really have a good reputation in the Hunger Games. They've had one um, winner in the past, Hamich, who's a bit of a drunk. Let's put that politely. Just a bit. <laughs> Just a bit of a drunk. He's the mentor for the um folks going to the hunger games and nobody ever wins and so they don't the district 12 is going in with a lot of odds against them and then Katniss decides to volunteer and alongside her is selected um Peter Malark who is the boy with the bread he's the baker's son and he is the boy selected to represent district 12 and i you know look when it comes to YA books I'm not always a fan of the love triangle, but it gets set up here very well with Kale and Peta. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? It also gets set up in such like a, a beautiful way of Katniss didn't know she might have been in love with Gail until she's like, wait, am I? 
And we will have to ask what team we all are, I think, probably by the end of this. Oh, I'll uh, say I'm, I'm team PETA. I'm team PETA. I, I never really got, no, I was never a fan of Gail. I am also, so like, I think in the movies, I feel like I might've been team Gail, but in the books I'm team PETA. Like, and I think that's translated to overall that I am team PETA and here's going to, here's Emma going to roll in and say team Gail. Okay. I similarly, (laughs) no. And so I admittedly, I have not read these books since I first read them. So I've seen seen the films since many times. Uh, but I've not read these books since 2012, maybe, mm-hmm. when I like did a full sweep of all the books. Um, I'm different books to movies as per uh, our prerogative yeah. as book lovers and t- film lovers. But I am struggling to remember which one was which. I'm almost yeah. positive. I'm almost positive that I am team PETA shockingly no I'm I'm pretty sure I'm team PETA but I'm definitely team PETA (laughs) but I think film wise team Liam Hemsworth right I I mean that's what it is he's a Hemsworth mm -hmm. like but knowing how things go no spoilers because we won't talk about the last book yet yeah yeah, they kind of, they really kind of just wrapped that up and made it so that the choice is really just right one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so I think, <laughs> I think had had things gone a different way, mm-hmm. which we could you know go on and on about if they had ended a different way. I think I would would have been more inclined to be Team Gale the whole way through. But this back to our Twilight days, there was mm-hmm. only one. One choice in the book. Choice in the book, and it was PETA. So thank you, Emma. I was gonna say exactly <laughs> that, and it meant I didn't have to bring up Twilight because you said it. I'm trying not to reference Twilight in 2023. No, it's okay. I mean, but it's, it's exact it's exactly that. A, yeah. From With- the beginning, Katniss says that she has never seen Gail or uh, Gail, oh my gosh, my, my brain. She has never seen Gail that way. She continues to not see him that way. And there's only a moment where she's like, I've never thought of him romantically, but it's so nice to hug him right now as she's in her mind going off to her death. So it only ever seems like PETA. And he is also yeah. the only one who kind of respects her autonomy. Mm-hmm. And almost to the point where I want to say, I don't know, I'm just team Katniss because she is making choices for everyone yeah yeah I mean also oh sorry no oh I was just gonna say like to that point how much of it actually is a love triangle on the page and how much of it is just the love triangle within the minds of readers yeah right absolutely because that was the same thing that we saw with the the twilight love triangle I mean that it wasn't really a love triangle until the movies got into it yeah and now this at least kind of ironically it's part of the books that there is a reality tv style marketing twist to it that when gail gets a little more involved after the you know in the second book that they're like oh does does the do the star-crossed lovers have a trouble in paradise so yeah it gets a little meta there but i agree i think that the 
especially for this like time period of YA everything, whether it was fantasy YA or dystopian, because this is this was like the series that launched all YA dystopian books. Yeah, I feel like for the last 10 plus years, but that yeah. invented love triangle of like mm-hmm. which boy, which team, the hype over which one. I definitely think that was marketing because yeah, in the books, there really is no choice. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like pulling, it's pulling things out of nowhere. In other YA books, I think it is a lot more of a YA love triangle where you really see like, oh, I like you. Oh, I like you. But in this, it's pretty much like, this is my platonic relationship with Gail. We are pals. We like to support one another. Yes. But there's none of that like romance. Right. Where like conversely we see oh, why do I feel this way about the bread boy? And then we watch her develop feelings, right? There's absolutely Correct. a difference or a non-manufactured. The yeah. bread boy. The bread boy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. every time it's I go to the Panera, bread can boy. I have a bread boy, please? <laughs> uh, if only we could all have our own bread boy. Uh, <laughs> so after they are selected, they get on a train with Hamish, who was her mentor, and Effie, good old Effie, but has been like assigned sort of the liaison she's been assigned to district 12 she's not crazy about it because district 12 never wins and they head off to the capital um on like a bullet train essentially like a very very fast like why can't we have trains like that um fancy sleeper car like food like wish magical showers with eighty thousand buttons right maybe not maybe don't want to travel to our death but i would travel that way I would travel in that kind of luxury and style, but yeah, as long yes. as I'm going to like the capital because that's where I live and not Correct. to go Correct. die in the hunger. Yeah. So the capital is this big, fancy, shiny city where people have crazy colored hair. I don't know anything about that. And Me either. <laughs> and um, it's just a very different experience and environment. And, um, you know, they watch... They are exempt from the Hunger Games participating in it. They are audience members. And we are we learn that the Hunger Games exists, as you mentioned, Joe, like a form of punishment for the rebellion of the past and the districts and the capital, the folks who live there. They just get to watch it all and not have to participate. Um, some of them do work as sort of, helping the hunger games um uh volunteers the tributes um you know they are assigned uh they have a stylist they have a stylist uh, Thank they, you. Wow. they have like a, a whole style team as far as who's doing hair makeup fashion yeah. um there's also the game makers the people yes. who are designing the the course basically and as we see in the movie also kind of like um what is it the cabin in the woods kind of style like that it's it's a very similar parallel of like they are deciding oh we need some fireballs going off now and pick up the wind this is one thing i like that the movie does that the film just cannot because of the way that this this is what the film does the book cannot because of the way the book is told is that we the movie opens with seneca crane a game maker on 
oh god, I can't remember Stanley Tucci's character's name. Um, oh, the like oh, oh, the top yes. show, Caesar, Caesar Milan. Caesar, no, yes, that's that's the dog Caesar Milan. It's <laughs> dog Caesar Flickerman. 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 Yes, like that's how the movie opens is with Sonica Crane, the game maker, on Caesar's show, talking about um the games we don't actually meet Zonica in the book because Katniss does not meet him in the book he is a behind the scenes character and by the time well okay spoilers um so in the movie we get to see yeah that cabin in the woods behind the scenes of of how the show actually the the Hunger Games reality show operates which I I like that part I like seeing yeah they're like you know, in the book, there's a scene where she's getting too close to the border and a firewall suddenly appears to push her in a different direction. And in the movie, that is translated to us through one of the employees getting too close to the border. And Seneca's exactly. like, throwing a frame wall. <laughs> and And that is something that is, it's so cool to me, the distinguishment between the books and the movies, because they are both like full wonderful experiences I don't think I have a complaint about any of I don't think I have a complaint about the movies like which is rare there's usually something but these are so enjoyable to watch on their own and the choices that they made are just kind of like for translation basically because what sets the books apart at least for me is that since it is all that first person we have a very real emotional response from Katniss every moment we go whereas in the books we have more of like that kind of character and like film study which is which is super neat you've worked hard for what you have your money your assets your 401k and home isn't it all worth protecting nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft lifelock ultimate plus helps protect your finances with up to three million dollars in reimbursement LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Hey there. I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon. I think I have two complaints. They're not really complaints about the movies, but there are two things that aren't in them. Mm. That was a choice that was made. And that is how she gets the Mockingjay pin. Yes. In the book, it is given to her by the mayor's daughter, Madge, right before she gets on the train to head towards the Capitol. Um, And it's in that moment where Katniss is like, oh, maybe I did have a friend all this time. After all. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the movie, she just sort of like stumbles upon it at the hob, which is essentially like the swap meet type place where folks go. Um, and then the other thing, what I like about the books, and because it is all through Katniss's perspective, and because she's all alone, it's almost all internal dialogue, 
is we really see her thought process through every move that she makes, both before the Hunger Games, but especially in the Hunger Games. Mm -hmm. She really, you see how incredibly smart she is in thinking ahead. There are scenes where um, she's like trying to find water source and she can't find any. And she's like dying of thirst. And she's like, I haven't received any help yet that must mean that water is close by, right? Like they can get sponsors outside who send them things. Um, And there's other scenes like that where she's really able to understand these games in a very, very deep, like chess level way that you don't, you don't necessarily see, you don't get that in the movie. I mean, you still, like her choices still make sense in the movie, but I, I really enjoy reading the books and being able to see that perspective of her thought process through every step she takes you're right i i do have some complaints about the movies that they're they're like you said with mad like small stuff yeah it's, it's always those little things that like oh why couldn't they just like either you know, why did they have to make this the way that this was delivered like the tiny changes of that character doesn't interact um and right the the almost like the female protagonist of it all in the movie is so much more like um, damsel in distress, even though she is the strongest character. Right. So I think she still falls victim to that. Like she's doing a lot less thinking through things in the movie compared to the books, which are just like an internal monologue of, well, if I don't do this, then I will starve to death. And then I will, you know, and like, right. it's, it's, it's a big difference. And she is a much more powerful character in the books than in the movies and right she's got so much more personality to her yeah. in books I'd say as well because she has friends she has people that rely on her even if they are those people from the hob they're relying on her for getting the good stuff for sure for sure um okay now I'm going to talk about my favorite scene in the book and uh-huh. it's it is her skill test with the game makers <laughs> It's so good. I love any scene in a book where it's like this, where someone like a student, it's often in like students like applying for magic school or something where they have to kind of prove themselves. Um, And in this case, Katniss, the, the, the tributes are, once they get to the Capitol, they're all ranked by the game makers because again, this is a reality show and people are placing bets on them and deciding who to champion. And um. They have a private skill test with the game makers. None of the other tributes see what it is. They just learn what their score is after the fact. And she goes in and she's basically being ignored by the game makers. Um, She has a bow and arrow there, but it's different than what she's used to. And so her first couple of shots are not great. And then out of a moment of frustration at being ignored she looks up and she sees that the game makers have like a roasted pig on their table with an apple in its mouth and she just shoots that arrow right through that apple and pins it to the wall and then it's just like peace i'm out (laughs) yeah like leaves it's it's so good because it it comes back to her like Hey, so she makes a promise to her sister right before leaving for the games that she wasn't going to give up. Yeah. Um, and I and I think we see these moments of like, 
intense frustration where she knows like when it's something that she should be succeeding at and she's not giving the opportunity to that this is where she acts out and that's when she really proves herself and so I think it's the idea of like I promised Prim that I wasn't going to give up and this is my chance to get a, a high enough score so that I get sponsored so I don't die immediately and and that's kind of what we see a lot those just moments of frustration and then we see her anxiety afterward because she's afraid she's doomed her family she's yeah. afraid that you know she's going to be executed that her family's going to be taken out um and it results in a really good score for her better better than most of the careers yeah i think so, think so. i think she might be the I think highest, she gets the or highest. Close to it. yeah yeah but i also think it sort of speaks to that idea of small moments of dissent and rebellion um in that she's like all right well if you're not going to pay attention to me doing it the quote-unquote correct way of what i'm supposed to do i'm going to do this other thing instead that still is within the rules nobody says i can't do narrow in your direction (laughs) it always makes me wonder what you know we don't find out what the other tributes things are and she when she meets rue who is from district 11 she's a similar age to prim um she sort of takes her under her wing and she wonders what did in her own uh test with the game makers i wondered if she sort of like climbed up and i'm like what if scaled the walls and like like went into the ledge where the game makers were right it was just like hey what you eating or all of a sudden appeared next to them and was just yeah. snacking. Yeah. Right. She, like, she, got, she got a decent enough score that people she weren't did. counting her out. Yeah. Um, that's our that's our best guess is that she did some sort of climbing, climbing. and running from tree to tree. Yeah. Um, and we the only other person we know is Peta's, yeah. at least as far as what he's told us, because that was the plan. Right. So I wanna I wanna step back. Uh so they get to the Capitol. They are cleaned up. They are freshened up. They meet with their their stylists and then they are put on parade. Yeah. And each district is shrouded in something that represents their area. And their stylist, oh my God, it's just Lenny Kravitz. I was yes, going to say Lenny Kravitz. Kravitz. <laughs> Lenny Kravitz. Lenny Kravitz. Sina, I think. Sina, yeah. Sina. Uh-huh. Lenny Kravitz. Lenny uh, Kravitz. Their stylist, Cinna, um, <laughs> creates this fake fire that can be lit on their garments, won't harm them at all. And that's representative of what you do with coal. You burn it. And so Katniss and Peta make the biggest splash on the entrance because not only are they on fire, they're holding hands. Yeah. And they are the only ones shown as together every other pairing is just that they are two people in the same chariot basically going along the way and that starts to like theme through in because the books are all divided into parts and this Mm -hmm. first part is from the reaping all the way through to like the hunger games start and part two is the hunger games themselves um but part one just kind of slowly unfolds a new layer every time of Katniss and Peta's dynamic. At first, it's every time you're in public, you have to be on. And so that also means that like when they're not in public, they're still kind of on. And then they start fighting back and forth because Katniss can't trust Peta. She can't believe that 
he would be genuine to her or anything like that. So there's a, a lot of interesting back and forth. And then leading up to the Hunger Games, uh, they do their interviews the night before. And that's kind of where they try to appeal once again to those sponsors to get support in the games. And uh, Katniss goes first and, you know, does just kind of like a cutesy routine of look at this beautiful dress I'm in and answering questions genuinely because once again with Lenny Kravitz's advice he says to talk like you're answering or talking to him Um, but then PETA who is the final person to go goes on this lovely little story of uh, how he's in love with a girl from his town and uh, Caesar says well when you get home you'll have no problem because who doesn't want the Hunger Games, Victor, and he says, uh, well, I don't think that'll really work because she came here with me. And so it's, it's it just really ramps up from there that we see it even kind of play out once they're in the games themselves. So now is where we get to kind of like dive into the games a little bit. I know because it's absolutely bonkers. <laughs> like, Bonkers. It's bonkers that it's like a gladiator style death match that people are watching for entertainment. Where you've got 12 year olds and 18 year olds fighting to the death. Children, like actual children. children. Where only like four districts actually have training facilities, basically, compared to like the other districts that don't have enough food to be properly nourished like let alone spend time training yeah well yeah and and that there's so many layers here that Mm -hmm. these children are having to navigate and think through the politics of getting sponsors the physical demands of like staying alive and fighting people with weapons it's absolutely nuts and when you're looking at like their their prep team, basically the people around them, yes, their their sponsor from their district understands. They understand what it's like because they're a winner from the games. But they also, even though they now live in a nicer part of the t- the district that they live in, they still know what their life is like. So yeah. there's there's some relatability there. But everything else, I mean, they're they're um. Uh, chaperone Effie yeah. in this case for District 12 is someone from the Capitol who's doing this for clout basically and and their style team these are people from the Capitol having fun dressing them up like dolls and so it also makes you wonder because like not only the politics of basically begging for help without begging it's also like you have these people who you're getting to know but in every case other than like the people who are around our main characters don't care that you're about to go fight and die or, or win. Except right. in the case of Cinna. I want right. a Cinna exactly. prequel. That's, that's why Give I was saying Cinna like, prequel. Yes. Absolutely. How did Cinna end up in that job? Because he. Right. Because yeah. this is his first Hunger his Games. First Hunger Games. And he asked for District asked for 12. 12. Right. Yeah. That's kind so of what I meant story? by like only the people around yeah. Katniss, like Cinna, and even like the other people on Cinna's team are still emotionally invested in Katniss. Yeah. But right, what is his story? What is his story? What what happened? What's going on? Um, The other thing that I wish the movie would have done a little more is the 
way that people wild out in the Capitol with plastic surgery, because oh, yeah. this is a beautiful look into like where we could go. Mm-hmm. The like, oh yeah, people are going to start having whiskers implanted and look like cats. You know, like it's, they paint themselves blue. And I mean, I've done that too, but like, you know, it's not a permanent <laughs> It's not permanent. Tan. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like it's cosplay. <laughs> but well- and yeah. I think that's interesting that in the books, like it's all about crafting that persona or that image that you're portraying, whether it's in the Capitol or like in the Hunger Games, you're selling yourself to some degree, you're selling a story, the star-crossed lovers thing that I think is really highlighted in this setting, but perhaps just as applicable in other teen books of the time like especially with I mean the launch point of social media in the mid-2000s like crafting your persona and having like the whole thing analyzed and picked apart and used for you know for good or for bad I think this book did a lot of that before anyone was really even having conversations about that yeah, absolutely. Like the idea of getting into a fight for who was your top eight on MySpace, we could really take a step back. We don't even have to like think of the things that we're just starting to dissect with our social media culture now. This was absolutely right. looking at that. You know, and even like, I think even translating it to the culture of like high school or mm-hmm. anything like that, it's just, it feels like it's amplified over time with these different mediums. And so this putting all of these children into a reality television setting in something that was so in our minds, like this is so dystopian, far-fetched, like whatever. Well, yeah, the premise might be, but what they're going through might, might not, not be that different in terms of, you know, the emotions, the struggles that they're going through, the stakes might be lower, but maybe not. So I mean, and it's not even that it's just a reality show. It's like compulsory viewing for the entire world of Panem. They all have to watch this state like, and the Capitol Mm -hmm. specifically looks forward to that first day of the bloodbath where all of them are at the sort of central place where the cornucopia is and they just go at each other. And this is one point where the movie... Like you read the book and you're like, sure, it's 12 and 18 year olds. Okay, it's children. And then you watch that movie and Uh you actually see that happen. And I was just, I remember in the theater being like, oh my, right. It's 12 and 18 year olds that are doing this. The difference between a person who is four feet tall and six feet tall going at it. Absolutely. Yes. And it was just not. It just, it was not clicking in my brain as I was reading the books. It wasn't until I saw that film and these actors and actresses of that age and just getting slaughtered. And I was like, okay, yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So so the other thing that kind of to your point of like for the Capitol, for everyone, it's compulsory viewing, but for the Capitol, it's the Super Bowl. Yeah. For the districts, if you don't attend, you'll be arrested or flogged or executed. Um, They say in the beginning with the reaping, uh, if you weren't in attendance for the reaping, unless you were on your deathbed, you'd, it's a crime. And, and so it's, it's so wild, the kind of dichotomy. Um, But even once they're in the games, you know, at the schools in the districts at lunchtime, they'll replay highlights. Like that's. It is. I agree. It's like 24 hour, like big brother 
style Mm -hmm. type of situation. And then, yeah, there are highlights. And then they make like when there's like memorials every night based on who died, which is bonkers to me that they. It's so grim. It's just they put them in this situation where they have to kill each other. Through no fault of their own, but because this is the world that they live in. And then the world that they live in is like, we're going to celebrate them as having died. I'm like, what right. is wrong with you? A memorial only- for their contributions to right. society, like to, society. to these games. Yes. No, so that's wild. Question for both of you before we go a little further. Do you think there's a world where Katniss would ever have run away with Gail at the beginning? No. The day of the reaping, he suggests running off. No, I don't think off. so. Nope. No. Yeah, not me either. I, I've, been, I've been trying to to like parse out when she could run. And she only, like to her credit, only thinks about it once. Like, should I have done it? But yeah. Yeah. I don't think so because the whole, all, her, she is in work mode to keep her mother and sister alive. That is her right. only focus. And she's like, my mom and sister would not go with me and I can't leave them behind. So right. no, I don't think she would ever run off with Gail. Absolutely. So um, the games themselves, it's a uh, killing. It's uh, a redirecting. Of- it's a lot of killing. It's a lot <laughs> it's of killing. redirecting people who are in hiding for a little too long. Like that's also something that's fascinating is that like, um, there's a lot of talk of, oh, well, this year the ratings were low basically because it was too open. There was nowhere to hide. Oh, this was too bad because it was too cold and everyone died of exposure. Like, you know, there's a lot of thought going into these games, but like we mentioned, fire to flush people out, conveniently placed water when you when you need it. Like you can't even call it like an ex machina kind of thing. Or, or anything like that because it's a game and it's, a game. It, it, it's like mousetrap. The the point is to, yeah. to catch you in the snare. But so they go on killing for a while. We see a lot of different mutations as we go from tracker jackers to jabber or mocking jays and jabber jays and uh, the dog things. Mm, God, those um, things creep me out so much. I can't handle the dogs. So freaky. I'm glad but, they did change those for the movie. Like the movie, they're just like generic dogs. They did not yeah. implant <sighs> the face of the fallen Didn't, into the dog's faces. The wildest thing. Because so when I read the books, I read them, I think around the same time you did, Emma, the like they were all out and the movies were, I think I hadn't seen the first two yet, but they were already out. Um, And so I had seen the first two movies when I started reading the books. And when I got to the first one of the mutts that came up and I was like, it's got a person's head that was their friend that's dead. Yeah. (laughs) No, thanks. Yeah. Um, But, but so uh, they're going through the games. Uh, They haven't been playing up the star-crossed lovers because they've been hidden from each other, Katniss and Peeta through the whole time. But then where in the like middle to end a rule change is announced allowing the tributes from the same district to win as a pair so this is when Katniss goes on the hunt for Peta. um it's later he had um initially kind of crewed up with the careers uh, and she sees this from a from the treetop she sees this as a huge betrayal but he had allied with them to protect her uh, but so she finds him camouflaged into a riverbank, having been injured by one of the careers. She nurses him back to health as best as she can, but he is still gravely injured. Uh, Katniss pretends to be madly in love with Peta in an attempt to gain gifts from sponsors to try to heal him up. When the game makers send a delivery of what each contestant needs most, 
Katniss risks her life to obtain medicine for PETA. So I should say this does not come from the sponsors, the game makers in an attempt because they've all now kind of huddled up with their district to try to both win. They're now making a second drop at the cornucopia, basically the central point where all of the goods are. So she risks her life to obtain this medicine for him. She's intercepted by career tribute Clove, who who gloats over Rue's death. Can't dwell on that for too long uh, and tries to kill Katniss, but is killed by Thresh, uh, Rue's partner from District 11, who spares Katniss for Rue's sake. But then the medicine saves Peta's life. Uh, So as the games kind of continue, Katniss and Peta are the last two survivors. Uh, As they have come out and they're like, cool, we won. Uh, The game makers revoke the rule change to force one to kill the (laughs) other for a dramatic finale. Uh, What a way to set up the star-crossed lovers to succeed and then go, okay, who really wants to live? The thing of it is that... uh that I it's under- not even clever for it's the not- game makers. Well, no, I understand that. I feel like they don't know their audience. I mean, I understand why President Snow gets mad about this because he feels that by doing that, it will fuel the rebellions happening in the districts because they're watching these two and, and now you want them to like kill each other. I feel like the capital too, though, like... The viewers of the Capitol have also fully bought into this relationship. It's oh. not just the districts. And so you're going to put like, I <laughs> this, No, you're absolutely right. Like, like if this I was a member of the audience. Capitol and I had been watching this and you're like, yes, this new rule, this is great. And then they revoke it at the last second and you're asking, but then again, the Capitol people are like fully bloodthirsty. So maybe they'd be like, yes, this is great. I don't know. I don't know. It's it's definitely tough to judge because I think of like watching RuPaul's Drag Race and you get to like one of the eliminate, like especially in All-Star season when they're sending yeah. each other home. You go, no, she was doing the best. And you're like, well, duh, that's why she went. That's smart competition. But this is just that kind of like, what, why, why this setup? And I agree. There's a part of me that's like, they played the Starcross lover so well that I can't imagine the dis anyone in the capitals being in the capital being mad, but also right they are like oddly full know. of bloodlust. Like I I don't know how they the people in the capital would have reacted. So I go either way, Katniss is once again defiant and uh, prepares um, nightlock berries for her and Peta. They prepare to consume these poisonous berries, uh, realizing they intend to commit suicide so that there will not be a victor for the games. The game makers declare Katniss and Peta the victors. Although both of them receive a hero's welcome as a couple, Katniss is warned by Hamish that the capital may take action against her for her defiance. Along the way back to District 12, Peta is heartbroken to learn that Katniss's actions were part of a calculated ploy to gain sympathy. Katniss, however, is unsure of her own feelings and her future. Bum, bum, bum. It's... I remember reading these books and being like, how are they going to get out of this situation? And it's so simple and ingenious. It wor- like, It gets me every time. She's like, we're going to fake suicide. And yeah. sure enough, just like, it's interesting because in the book, they put the berries in their mouth. Yep. Whereas in the film, the game makers come in with the new rule or like stop, stop, stop before they even get that far. But in the book, they're like, she's like, you got to trust me on this one. They are fully committed. 
to hoping mm, this mm. works and put the berries in their mouth or at least get to their lips, which is, that's a lot of faith you have to have in somebody right. to be like, they're like, I'm, you know, because for all, you know, like she's that trying to win. Yeah. She's trying to win. Yeah. That's, it's, it it gives a lot, it shows a lot of PETA's love for Katniss already. But like, that, yes, because we are hearing all of this from Katniss, from her perspective, not even just her perspective, but from inside her head. The, these books do so well at making you feel like you are in her head. Yes. You know, the whole time she's doubting PETA. Is this a strategy? Is he playing all of this to just make it easier to kill her? Mm-hmm. Whereas the meantime, he's like actually just like, no, it was totally a joke, but he actually <laughs> was telling his feelings to the public. He's like, oh yeah, no, I was kidding. <laughs> oh yeah, no, 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 no. I don't, I don't like her. She's uh she's whack. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh it's just it's so good. It's so good. And like, it's yeah, so I we cannot talk about Rue too much because I will cry. But I will say this. When it comes to the movie, mm. folks, there are two descriptions of Rue that come up several pages apart, and both of them describe her as black. So Yes, so don't be angry for no reason. <laughs> Just going to put that out there. Just read the book. Just read the book. Two very, there are two descriptions, and both times she's described as having dark skin. So that's all. That's all I'm going right. to say about Rue. It's so sad. It's so sad. I know. Um, the flowers. It's just like <laughs> as as we are approaching the end of our our first retro of the Hunger Games book one, the Hunger Games. Uh, I wanted to throw this out. Um, when you brought up Hamish earlier, I just mm-hmm. pulled up the Wikipedia. He won the fiftieth Hunger Games twenty four years before the events of the first book. So he's from the same place is Katniss he's from the seam he's described as having the same characteristics as Katniss and Gail mm-hmm. um, and he was also 16 when he was brought into the Hunger Games but he was reaped for the second quarter quell and I just found it fascinating there were four instead of the normal two tributes from each district who participated um, right because the quarter quells are the fancy ones where they change things up Right. He became an ally Wait. to a girl named Maisily Donner, the original owner of Katniss's symbolic Mockingjay pin, but was later forced to watch her die. Wait. Uh-huh. Okay, wait. <laughs> Do this yeah, math. Yeah. He's 16. When yep. he it's the 50th Hunger Games, right? Yeah. When he's a champ. And we're how many years later? 24. 24. 24. So no. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's he's- 24 because book two is the 75th. Wait, so did you he's- say he's the 50th? Yeah, he was the 50th. Oh, the 50th. Okay, then yeah, yeah. 24. So he's he's, 40. he's meant to be 40 years old. Mm-hmm. I buy that. What what is that casting though? Alcohol. No, seriously. Okay. I think, yeah. I, I think I'm like, wait a minute. Yeah. No, I but Joe and I were talking about this before we were you joined us. I think <laughs> the casting of the film is superb. I don't think yeah. there is really one bad casting in it. Like I saw that like Donald Sutherland like championed for the role. He wanted yeah. President Snow, and um, the cat. Yes, and like hey, like everything is is so good. But I'm going to contribute. I he's he's an alcoholic. He's been drinking probably for the past 25 years. Right. Started That's when true. he was 16. <laughs> right. I'll that buy is... him as a 40 year old. Yeah, I I could buy it, especially since. After winning the Hunger Games, he basically right. never had to do anything again. Well, he because... didn't. He, 
he probably given... tried the first couple of years with the new, you know, well, like right. he's their mentor, I, his but only, his only job, then his only was job, to go, yeah. but right. Yeah. So uh, then he's like living on the high hog every year when he goes to the Capitol and is just hanging out with the other sponsors. I mean, right. I 100% buy him as, as 40. Yeah, I, but so I was just fascinated by all of this. And I'm like, where do I need to go to read more lore? Where, where did I miss this from? Uh, I, I think that, I know, I do think you learn more about Hamish in one of the, is it one of the other books? I think you I learn more about must Hamish's. Have been so focused on like, okay, get me back into the story. But I'm just like. <laughs> What? No, I, I mean, I know that like in the in the first one, in the Hunger Games, mm-hmm. Peta and Katniss are like, how the hell did Hamish win? Right. But I feel like you do learn more about how that, there he, must be his gameplay in, in a later book, but so, I could be making that up. But so it's it's very interesting because he's basically been in a stupor for 24 years, and then he is revived by the energy of Katniss and Peeta. And you don't want to like him at the beginning, but as time goes on, you can see that he understands the strategy. He's doing the best he can to try to help these two kids out. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, it's just such a good book. I have to say, if you have not uh, gotten into the dystopian reads yet if you have not gotten into the post-apocalyptic if you haven't if you haven't tried to read out like this this is a great place to start these books are beautifully written they are um really well thought out in their mythology in their lore and it is a great adventure sequence um if you have like an issue with gore i don't find them to be gory but they are violent so that's accurate yeah yeah they're they're violent but they're not necessarily gory i don't really right think there, there are, are any vague descriptions but there's not like graphic descriptions I, i'm trying to think of i think you know what honestly i think the worst descriptions are left off the page there's the career right. like when they get to the final three and it's katniss and Peta and the guy from district one start to the sea my brain Eight-o. can't remember thank you um, and the dogs and he gets yeah dragged he falls yes there's a whole thing where Katniss shoots him with an arrow and he falls um and the dogs get to him and he does not die right away it takes a very long time uh-huh. until Katniss puts him out of his misery and all you all they hear are like it's dark they can't see him the dogs have like dragged him away and all, they just hear him moaning and I'm like you can only imagine you can only imagine like imagining is probably a lot worse there's just a lot of like really good use of fade to black like yes like you said the what happens is happening off the page and i think it makes it so much more powerful yes yes because you you sort of put your own worst case on it right so hunger games man the Hunger Games, book one, we did it. Um, we did it. Also, to what you were saying, if to folks who have not read this yet, I mean, mm-hmm. one of our 2023 PBM right. reading challenges, the YA series, there are only three books. You know, you don't have to read the prequel. That's not really part of it. So, mm-hmm. And the audiobooks are like 
a good length. I feel like it's like eight hours. It's not. It's um, a, it's like a ten sh- hours. Short yeah. and snappy though for yeah. for a series. I think. I, I think the book. I read the Hunger Games over the weekend in preparation for this, and then uh, watched the movie again. And I, I it took me like two days. Like they're. Yep. The like Mockingjay is longer, but the first one at least is. I think it's like around three hundred pages. Yeah, or so. it's and it's like YA pages. It's not like yeah, right. And <laughs> and for our parents with like middle grade and and teen readers, if you want to like have something to read together, I mm-hmm. don't know. This is maybe not middle grade. Maybe not this, middle. Grade. No. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. not middle grade. Teen. This is this is too old. Teen, but, so. uh, teen Teens, readers. Though. If you want like a moment to connect, this is a really cool opportunity to have like a book club in your home. Yeah. Get your yeah. kids' reaction. You also get to read some really good books. Ugh. Plus there's the movies. You can do movie night then. The movies. I, I have I'll have a lot more to say when we talk about Finnick. Oh, I love you know what? <laughs> Catching fire. So <laughs> I now is this because of the movie or because of the book? Both. Both. Bye. I Catching Fire is my favorite of the series, so I am very excited also to Agree. get to the second one. And I'm ex- I might be most that. excited to get to talk to you both about how the series ends with book three because I still well, that I still have so many opinions and feelings, but I am with you that Catching also Fire that. is also my favorite. Book two is book two is the best. I love like, book two. I, I will love, I will say I love it. it. I mean, I love the Hunger Games, but I really yes. love it. Fire. So um, it will... feels like once you've read it enough times or even watched it enough times, you're just kind of actually waiting for the things that happen in the yes. second one. That's yes. what I found myself doing. Like I'm in the, I'm almost done with the audiobook, but I'm like in the middle of the games right now. And I'm like, every time she got in the elevator, I was thinking, yes, of, what's her name? And I'm like, that's not going to happen in this book. That is my favorite <laughs> scene in the movie. She is so well cast. Oh my God. So yes. Well cast. Yes. <laughs> So, um, yeah, thank you everyone for this first episode of our Hunger Games retrospective. We will be back soon, eventually. I don't know. We'll find out with uh, (laughs) the second episode and Catching Fire. So until then, happy reading. Happy reading. New year, new retro. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode on Overdrive.com and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen Podcasts, visit evergreenpodcast.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Emma Dwyer, Jill Grunewald, and Joe Skelly, and presented by Overdrive. To learn more, visit professionalbooknerds.com. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.